Today we'd like to consider the thought liberated by love. Scripture is found in the book of Galatians. First of all, we find a section about the works of the flesh. Galatians 5:19 to 21. This starts on a regular negative note, but we'll get to the positive. Jesus is the answer, isn't he, to the bad things. This is one of the passages that really illuminates many of the bad things. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, and today I'd like to read this section from the Amplified Bible, a paraphrase. Helps bring out some of the thoughts behind this. When it talks about the works of the flesh, it's talking about things we do out of our fallen nature. We all have a fallen sin nature. And this is what happens when that is given into. Now the doings, practices of the flesh are clear, obvious. They are immorality, impurity, indecency, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, ill temper, selfishness, divisions, dissensions, party spirit, factions, sex with peculiar opinions, heresies, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. (laughs) This is not an exhaustive list. I warn you beforehand, just as I did previously, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. There are other places in the Bible which list such sordid things as well. One of them that I think of is the latter part of the book of Romans chapter 1. It begins about the middle of the chapter showing how that people have refused to acknowledge God and yet that God has revealed himself through his creation. Behind the creation, there's got to be a designer and a creator. And so as we see what he's made, we learn something about God and something about his power. But here in the middle of Romans, in chapter 1, we discover that in spite of this obvious revelation to us through nature, people have not accepted it. People have not acknowledged God for whom he is. And then it goes on and say they were not thankful. People should express gratitude to God. We should abound in thanksgiving. In fact, as it says in Colossians chapter 2, thanksgiving is an important part of our health and well-being and what we owe to God. But in spite of the revelation of himself, people are not thankful to him as the giver of every good and perfect gift. 
And then it goes down the list even further. It got so bad, God abandoned them to their own desires. It's a terrible thing if God gives up on people, is it not? Basically, that's what he did. He gave up on them. And one of the great things that resulted was the practice of homosexuality. Unfortunately, our society exalts this today. God has a very dim view of such practice. And he's abandoned them to this practice, it tells us here in Romans 1. But having said that, it goes on in Romans 1. Here's what it says with quite a a section comparable to the Galatians section. Beginning in verse 29, Romans 1. Until they were filled, permeated and saturated with every kind of unrighteousness, iniquity, grasping and covetous greed and malice, They were full of envy and jealousy, murder, strife, deceit, and treachery, ill will and cruel ways. They were secret backbiters and gossipers, slanderers, hateful to and hating God, full of insolence, arrogance, and boasting, inventors of new forms of evil, disobedient and undutiful to parents. They were without understanding conscienceless and faithless, heartless and loveless and merciless. Though they are fully aware of God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve to die, they not only do them themselves, but approve and applaud others who practice them. The works of the flesh, the giving in to the fallen nature, this is what ends up. This is what results. But leaving the negative here, let's go to the positive. That's what we want to concentrate on. Opposed to the works of the flesh is the fruit of the Spirit. Very different. Notice it's not something that results from our fallen nature. It's something given to us graciously by God, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So different from the things we have just read. Nine things are mentioned. Perhaps others are involved too. The ninefold fruit of the Holy Spirit in opposition to and victory over the works of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, not our fruit, his fruit. Here they are, the nine things. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, endurance, gentleness, goodness, faith or faithfulness, meekness or gentleness, temperance, that means self-control. God can help us with these things. God's ninefold fruit 
is to be produced in our lives. And it goes on to say, against such, there is no law. And that's true. Let's look at these nine things for just a moment here. The first of them, and perhaps the preeminent of them all, is what? Love. Love. So important. I have some more to say about that later. Secondly, joy. Is it okay for a Christian to be joyful? It's a part of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And so if we don't experience this joy, we are lacking in receiving and producing what the Holy Spirit wants to see in our lives. We should be joyful people. And I believe that's a part of our witness. Third thing that's mentioned is peace. How many times when Jesus encountered the people, he'd say, peace be to you. He wants us to have a rested, peaceful heart in life. He doesn't want our mind always being agitated and afraid and not having that deep peace of soul. And as we think of that, and as I think of people that are needing to get out of Afghanistan, this is a hard thing to have at such a time. And I think we ought to pray that God would help people get out of there, not only Americans, but others that need to leave as well, <clears throat> and especially any believers. Fourth thing that's mentioned is long-suffering. That's a good word, actually, when you think about it. Suffering for a long time. <laughs> Endurance, peace, and then long-suffering, putting up with a whole lot. We should not have a short fuse. We should not be people that easily blow our top, as it were, that get angry. Instead, we should be willing to put up with things and able to honor God with this part of the ninefold fruit. And it goes on after that. Gentleness or kindness. How important it is that we be kind, even to people in our own homes. Be kind. <laughs> it goes a whole long way. As much as lives in, as, as in you live peaceably, it says, with everybody. And that's what we should attempt to do, and God can help us in that respect. Then it goes on to goodness. Our lives should be characterized by goodness and by faith and faithfulness, dependability, trusting God and being a person God can count on, one who keeps producing these wonderful ninefold things in our lives day by day as a witness and something that honors God. He gives us these things as we take them. And then the eighth one is meekness. Meekness. I would say, first of all, that meekness is not weakness. Some people equate meekness with weakness, but it is not weakness. In fact, the Bible tells us 
that one man who had to be very strong was the meekest of men. You know who that was? It was Moses. He was considered to be the meekest of men. And yet he was not weak, but he was meek. He took his proper position before God and among men. Wonderful thing to think about. The meekest of men. And then lastly, temperance or self-control. Paul said he keeps under his body, lest he be a castaway in Corinthians. We need to be in control of things. And part of the fruit of the Spirit is that control that God offers to us. And so we need to be like a garden, like an orchard, like a ranch, producing the things of the Spirit of God as he in our lives, our daily lives, produces these wonderful things. He gets the credit. I think of something that I believe actually happened. I can't vouch for that, but as far as I know, it is true. Something that, in my mind, kind of illustrates the fruit of the Spirit, especially certain parts of it. I understand that years ago in Egypt, when England was in control there and had soldiers stationed there, once after a difficult day of practice, in the rain, in the mud, the soldiers returned to the barracks. One of the soldiers was a Christian. He was accustomed, probably been taught by his parents, to pray by his bed before he would retire for the night. So he comes in after this difficult day of marching in the mud and rain and what have you. And he gets down at his bunk and he prays. Well, one of the tough soldiers didn't like that. So he took his own muddy boot and hit him across the head. And I think he took the other one and hit him across the other side. What did the Christian soldier do? He kept on praying. What would you have done? Would you have prayed for the one that did this, like Jesus told us to? Would you have been willing to forgive that person, that, that tough sergeant or whoever it was? Well, the next morning, when the other soldier got up, he discovered those boots he'd used to clobber the praying soldier, all cleaned, all polished, all beautiful. That was the soldier's response to his cruelty. He overcame evil with good, like it tells us in Romans 12. What happened to the tough soldier? That reached him as perhaps nothing else could have. He recognized this wonderful, loving response to his cruelty. And he then gave his life to the Lord, I understand. Would you agree with me that this is something unusual? 
not the kind of thing even that many Christians would have done. Could it be someone that's filled with the Holy Spirit does things that other people and even other Christians may not do at times? Well, what should we do then with all these things, this power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit living in every believer who knows that Jesus died for us and rose from the dead and has given us his Holy Spirit? Well, after talking about the fruit of the Spirit, it tells us, back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 and 5, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh. In other words, they put to death this old sin nature with the affections and desires. And here's the thing, verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Walk is a way of describing our ongoing life. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us live that way, exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, exhibiting this love and this joy and this long-suffering and this meekness and self-control and all these other spiritual qualities. In the next book, the book of Ephesians, we find some more about how we ought to live. In Ephesians chapter 5, it tells us in verse 18, Do not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but... Be filled with the Spirit. That's what we're told to do. Yes, we're to walk in the Spirit as we are being filled with the Spirit. And by the way, that's a better translation from the Greek. Not just be filled with the Spirit, but instead be being filled with the Spirit. It's an ongoing process. You've heard of D.L. Moody. He was the Billy Graham of the late 1800s. Quite different personalities, I think, but great evangelists and workers for God. Back at that time, people talked about a second blessing. Maybe it's a little bit like people more in modern times have talked about being baptized in the Spirit and thinking you have to speak in foreign languages in a miraculous way. There were people who really wanted you to receive a second blessing. And they asked D.L. Moody about that. Did he believe in the second blessing? Basically he said, yes, and the third and the fourth, I believe, we're leaky vessels, <laughs> leaky vessels. We need to be constantly refilled with God. Be being filled with the Spirit and how true that is. One thing that impressed me is that in chapter 2 of Acts, it mentioned about all of the apostles, all the disciples, 120 of them being filled with the Holy Spirit. But then in chapter 4, it singles out Peter and said, Peter being filled with the Spirit, 
tells what he did. So here's one who was filled in Pentecost and later he's also filled. So that goes along, I believe, with what Moody was trying to express. It isn't just a once for all thing or a second thing. It's a continuous thing. We are to be filled daily with the Spirit of God that we might do what he wants us to do. Be being filled. Now back in Ephesians chapter three, it talks about what it really boils down to here in verse 19, Ephesians 3:19, To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. How are we filled? How is it shown in our lives? It says we're filled with the fullness of God basically when we're filled with love. God is love, it tells us in the book of 1 John chapter 4, two times. God is love. And when we're filled with love, you see, we're filled with God. When we're filled with the fruit of the Spirit, I believe we're filled with God and part of that is love. How important to walk that close to God and allow him to do his work in our lives. Now, having said that, let's go back to the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. For brothers, you have been called to liberty. He's talking about liberty from the Old Testament law and its legalism. Liberty from the idea that we must be good to get into heaven, that we can actually achieve that on our own. We can't. You have been called to liberty. We've said many times that we're under the new covenant, the new testament, not the old anymore. There's a liberation there. And yet we are warned very strongly in Jude, verse 4, not to turn that liberty into license as it tells us here, not to turn it into licentiousness, to immorality, not misuse it, this liberty and this grace we have in Jesus. For brethren, you have been called to liberty, back to verse 13, chapter five, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Yes, don't misuse it. Don't use it as an excuse for immorality. For all the law is fulfilled in one word in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says that's what it all amounts to. Love your neighbor, especially your Christian neighbor, as you love yourself. Having said that, I'd like to zero in again on this matter of love. Go with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. The Lord make you to increase and abound in love, one toward another, even and toward all men, even as we do toward you. So here he encourages them to keep on loving. He's been setting the example. Christians are to especially have 
a great love to one another. And then on in the next chapter, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 and 10. As touching brotherly love, you need not that I write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love each other. And indeed you do it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we ask you, brothers, that you increase more and more. <laughs> he said, you're doing it, but do it even more so. Increase more and more. First Peter 4.8 talks about loving one another fervently. We should care for those in our fellowship who are sick, who have problems. We should love one another as a Christian family. We should put up with one another. We should love to be in one another's presence. And thank God, here you are today that we can get together to honor him and be built up and to help one another. As far as loving one another fervently, you might check out Proverbs 17, verse 9. And so I hope these thoughts today will encourage us to have victory over the works of the flesh, to have victory in our lives by be, being filled with the Holy Spirit, by it being obvious to those around us, family and friends, and those we're trying to reach for Jesus, as God's Spirit produces his fruit in our lives the supernatural fruit of the Holy Spirit. May we bow together in prayer and dedication. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. Help us to be being filled with your Holy Spirit. Help us to have victory over the works of the flesh, the works of the old nature. Help us to be liberated unto love. May we now dedicate ourselves to you and bless those who have problems and who could not be with us today. Thank you, praise you, in Jesus' wonderful name, amen.